In today's installment of Unpacked. I knew that I wanted to travel, yes. but not as an au pair. And that is why I gravitated, I think, towards English teaching. The little kids will, will not be focusing anymore. Now they're just looking at my skin. Just wow. Like, wow. Yes. Brown. Uh, when you take your income and your spend, what? How much are you left with every month? Twenty thousand rand. Wow, that is a lot. Because honestly, life in Asia is like so easy. Teaching English abroad has become more and more popular and today's guests are here to share their stories, so let's unpack. Sbaichem Kize has been living and working abroad for three years. The sports science graduate had always wanted to travel abroad and after finding out about opportunities to teach English in China, she took a chance and is currently based there. In 2013, Nonjabulom Kize decided to leave her corporate job to go teach English in South Korea. Seeking adventure and change, she applied for the job online and next, she was starting a new life in another country. These are their stories. Let's unpack. Nunjabula, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And joining us via video con, we have Sbaike. Sbaike, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I want to start with you, Nunjabula. Take us back to how you actually... Um, you know, prior to being introduced to even the concept of teaching English abroad, what was it that you were doing with your life at the time? Okay, so I was in corporate. Mm. <laughs> I was working for a big corporate company and I was there for three and a half years before I decided this is not for me. <laughs> so what were you doing in corporate? Um, I was in communications. Mm. So I obviously started at the company as a graduate mm. and I... Worked your way up. For three and a half years. So what was it that made corporate so challenging or difficult? So corporate, as you know, it's all about being in one space for a long time. Mm. <laughs> so I was, I had this little cubicle, you know, behind a laptop from eight till four. And mm. I also just feel like I wasn't passionate about what mm. I was doing at the time. Mm. And yeah, so I just, I just wanted more. Mm. And it didn't feel like that was my space that I was mm. supposed to be. Was it a little bit daunting realizing that that will be your life for decades to come with only taking leave two weeks a year? Exactly. Mm. And also um, the thing of just, in the company, there were so many older people mm. that had been there for such a long time. Mm. So I thought, is that my life? Mm. <laughs> and you didn't no. want that? No. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what was it, what got you introduced to this thing called teaching, teaching English abroad? abroad? I had to do my research. Um, my sister also had been traveling for a bit mm. um, and she, she traveled as an au pair. Mm. Um, so there was my option. Should I be an au pair or what else is there? You know? So you just knew that you wanted to travel? I knew that I wanted to travel, yes. but not as an au pair. Yes, <laughs> so yes. I love children. And then, yeah, so there was an, an option to actually teach. Mm. Yeah. And so you discovered this just browsing online? Browsing online mm. and chatting to people as well. As I, as I said, my sister had already traveled and she had some friends that were also teaching mm. Asia. Mm. Yeah. And, and for you, 
when when the concept first came to you of teaching, mm. because you didn't want to pair which has to do with children, the yes. teaching also had to do with children. Yes. So what was the first thing that came to mind for you? Um, do you mean like um, in terms of what first I impressions? Oh, okay. First impressions of oh, you can teach abroad, and that's an option for traveling. Yes. Um, sure. It was. <laughs> For me, I, I, I still wanted to work. Yes. I didn't want to just, uh, for my understanding, an au pair is like a nanny. Mm. So mm. I didn't want to do that. I still wanted to, you know, have an effect on other people's lives mm. and, you know, do something meaningful. Yes. Um, so that's why doing my, my doing, going abroad and teaching was the better mm. option. I, I got that. you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. And then on your side, um, how did you get introduced to teaching English abroad? Um, so I started, well, just to give some background, in 2018, I was in Durban working for a nonprofit organization. I was doing marketing and fundraising for a nonprofit that taught kids or coached kids basketball mm. um, as an after-school activity in underprivileged areas. So my work back then was asking for money and going to big companies, mm. writing proposals, and that I was doing for three years. And um, I studied sports science, so I was really passionate about sports. Mm. And after that third year in the job, I just felt like, you know, um, similar to what Sisi was saying, that I couldn't see myself uh, moving up the ranks. I felt mm. like uh, there was nothing more to it than this. And mm. I just got my, I got, I got really frustrated sometimes too at how I was doing something really good, but I just couldn't see, you know, the long, the long-term thing and the mm. way I would end up and what I would be aspiring to. And obviously at the time, um, I had my, my honors as well. And I was thinking about doing a master's. And I remember the day I decided to go on the web and look for things I can do abroad. I mm. didn't even have anything in mind. I was just like, jobs for people who mm. want to move abroad, like in South Africa. And mm. I specifically typed for South Africans kind of thing. Mm. And a few things came up. Obviously, the first thing I would have wanted would have been like coaching and, and basketball and netball because that's what I was into. Summer camps, there was a huge craze around that at the mm. time. So those are things that popped up. But one of the major reasons that I, you know, didn't um, go through with that was that there wasn't a lot of South Africans mm. talking about it or giving reviews about it. Like mm. there weren't stories or success stories about coaching abroad or working in summer camps as South Africans. And that is why I gravitated, I think, towards English teaching because there were so many reviews, so many schools, so many, you know, people, young people talking mm. about it. There were Facebook groups um, that talked about South Korea as well, Japan. So I was like, this is, this is where it's at. So once you find your research online, what's the next thing that you did? Um, what did I do? I started to research again mm. about living in Asia, mm. living in South Korea. Mm. Um, I also was just asking around, like looking at the area that I was going to be in. Mm. Um, How did you even choose South Korea? Why did I choose South Korea at the time? I think it was because it was more popular mm. than, than going to China or anywhere mm. else. And there was a, a, my sister's friend that was there as well. Oh, okay. So that, it just made sense. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And mm. then I just, I did a lot of research and asking around. And I remember um, going on Instagram mm. and searching the town that I was, which was called Namwon. Mm. And I found some 
other, uh, not South Africans, other foreign teachers there. Mm. And yeah, mm, mm. it just worked out. So you ended up finding the school online? Online. And do the schools advertise themselves or is there like an agent that connects individuals like yourself with schools? Well, there's a website. Mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Yes, website. you can. <laughs> On Dave's ESL website. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. where a lot of the jobs are posted. Yes. And that's yeah. how I found my school. Mm. And then it's just back and forth, you chatting with the 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 school mm. and yeah. And what was the criteria that you needed? Because it's not like you had studied teaching yes. as a profession. Yes. Okay, so most schools require you to have like a TEFL certificate mm -hmm. and with a degree. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a degree, then I had to uh, get the TEFL certificate and I, I did mine uh, a short course uh, mm. through eye to eye. And yeah, three months I had my certificate and then that mm. basically qualifies you. Mm. And then on your side, Sabakia, what was the next thing that you did after you also did your online uh, research and checking it out? Okay, so once um, I made my applications to different schools, I honestly did not do any research about China. The first thing I needed to do was to find someone in China mm -hmm. that I could connect with, either a South African, and that is when I started looking for um, Facebook groups. I gravitated towards Facebook, uh, Facebook, Facebook groups because a lot of them existed for South Africans mm -hmm. living in China. And I remember I connected with a lady called Nonjabulo. Mm. And at the time... Not this Nonjabulo. <laughs> not this Nonjabulo. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we connected and we added each other. And that is when I was able to ask her questions like, what city are you in? What? How long have you been there? How much money do you earn? Is it correct um, for me to say this? Can I get some tips about the interview? So mm. I really asked her questions about her life in China. And how did you end up choosing China? China was, like I said, one of the few places that popped up where a lot of South Africans had written reviews about different mm. schools they were working for. It was also very competitive with the salary. When I compared China and South Korea, I felt like China had more to offer mm. and the cost of living was lower. So that mm. is for me, number one, I wanted to make good money. So I knew I needed to go to a place that could allow me to save money and also still live my best life. Mm -hmm. You've both mentioned money. In, in, in your side, I mean, you eventually got an offer from a school. Mm -hmm. What was that offer? Uh, in rands. Well, give it in the actual <laughs> currency and then translate to us in rands. Okay, so when I started, it was 2.1 million won. Mm -hmm. And that converted would be about like 20-something thousand. That's really not bad. Not bad at all. And you don't get taxed <laughs> to that side. Um, you do get taxed, but that's the amount of money that you're getting Back. Oh, okay. So that's your net. <laughs> that's your net. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that was great yes. from where I was coming from as mm, well. Mm, yeah. mm. And on your side, Sbakli, what was your offer amount? Uh, my first job in China offered 15,000 RMB mm -hmm. uh, at the time, and that is after deductions and mm. after tax, and that would be 30,000 rand. Sure. Oh, wow. That's really not bad. And then talk to us about what living, uh, cost of living works out with that money so that somebody watching that thinks, okay, I could also teach English abroad, has a realistic picture of how much is savable a month. Yes. Um, it definitely depends on the city you live in. 
Mm. Uh, China is categorized by tiers in terms of their cities. So a tier one country, uh, tier one city, sorry, would be Beijing, and that is the capital. Rent approximately between you're looking at for one to two bedroom between six thousand and eight thousand RMB, mm. um, and then cost of living in terms of food. Food isn't expensive. When I say isn't expensive, um, I'm comparing it to South Africa and what I know. And on average, I would say back then in 2018, I would spend 3,000 to 4,000 RMB um, on food. When you say RMB, what do you mean by RMB? RMB is the Chinese currency, which is UN. I understand. Yes, I got you. I got you. Okay. So should I... Should I talk in RMB or should I speak in rands? No, oh, speak speak in rands just to to so that um, you can contextualize it. Yes. Okay. So the six thousand to eight thousand RMB translate to a uh, twelve to about uh, eighteen thousand, nineteen thousand rand, and then um, the food, which is between two thousand and four thousand RMB, that translates to between four thousand and eight thousand uh, rands. Mm. So. When you calculate that together, for me, for example, in my first year, I paid 6,000 RMB for rent and 4,000 for food, that is 10,000. So I'm making 30,000 rand, uh, 30,000 rand, yes, and then an RMB, um, no, oh my gosh, I'm getting confused. Stick to rands, stick to rands to make your life easier. Yeah, I'm confused. Yeah, just speak in (laughs) rands. Okay, as criminal on my rand. Okay, cool. So, so basically, um, so, when you take everything, uh, 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 your spend, uh, uh, when you take your income and your spend, what, how much are you left with every month in rands? Twenty thousand rand. Wow, that is a lot to be able to put away. And in your case, did you save that? Yes, ma'am. I yes, I would, I would send, I would send that home and save it. Um, in my uh, South African accounts, savings accounts. And did you do the same? And how much were you, you, I mean, you were able to save how much a month? About maybe 11. Mm. I was also sending money home Mm. every month. I was in debt when I left. Mm. (laughs) So it was Mm. good to, it was so good to be able to send about 10,000 home. Mm. You know, Mm. you couldn't do that before. I couldn't do that before. So, yeah. Mm. And one might think, in terms of um, social status, right? That working in corporate, in communications, is like versus, oh, I'm teaching English, you know? So the perspective is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you looked at the finances, you looked at all of those things. This is great. You quit your job. What happens next? Everyone thought I was crazy. Yes. (laughs) My family thought I was crazy. And then I just... I got on a flight and I went. Why did they think you were crazy? Because I think they didn't expect it from me mm. because I'm also kind of like very safe. I, mm. I want to do things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think my parents and my sisters were not, when I said it, they didn't think I was going to do it. Mm. And then I was gone. And at the time, looking back now, I didn't really give enough information to my family to say, mm. no, this is where I'm going. Like mm. the number. No, I was gone. Like You just left. <laughs> I was gone. And they had to be like, Nanj, where are you on Facebook? Yes. <laughs> Did you land? Are you okay? Yes. I'm fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And who, who pays for what in terms of you get your offer letter? Do you have to pay for your own ticket and to get there? Yeah. So some schools actually 
provide you with the, you know, the airfare and stuff like that, mm. or they'll book the flight for you. Mm. Mine, mine did that for me. Mm. So they organized everything, and I just literally just had to go. Mm. Um, the Even I, your apartment? My apartment, I was living with a Korean girl. Mm. So she, yeah, my school was very good like that. I was very lucky, I must say, because mm. not all schools are like that. And then um, I obviously have to, you have to have like enough money for the month, though, mm. because you're not... You don't Earning till a month end. So you do need to have some cash with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't have any problems with visas and things like that, getting ready to leave the country? Oof, not that I can remember here. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. smooth. Um, you just obviously have to go to the, the embassy in Victoria. Yes. Mm. But that's about it. Spike, what, what was that um, time like where now it's the build-up to you leaving and you actually leaving? Um, it was such a tricky time because um, a month before my mom passed away, oh. so the decision to, yeah, the decision to 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 continue with the journey um, was really difficult. My family uh, pleaded with me to stay and mourn and be around uh, family during the tough time, but I was coming from a position where I was literally. Um, moving from hand to mouth, I, I was barely surviving. I also had a lot of debt and I had a young sister uh, who was you know, starting high school and I just in, saw me and her and like I felt like we, I needed to establish a legacy for us. Mm. I wanted to buy property and like I said, the job at the time, I couldn't, I couldn't dream. I couldn't, I just felt really like um, stuck. So it was difficult to make the decision to carry on with the journey. Uh, my family definitely were like stay and, and you know, mourn, take mm. some time, the job will be there. But I had this overwhelming feeling of go and mm. explore and live. And I felt like it was my mom just telling me to, to let, let this whole thing go and just start afresh and um, do my best to, 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 to live uh, the life that I want for myself. So it mm. was a really tricky time. But I'm grateful that I took that leap because now um, I'm, I feel like I, I, I don't regret it. How long ago was that and how old were you at the time when you lost your mother? Um, it was in 2018. I was 25 years old. Mm. And yeah, she passed away a month before I was meant to fly out to China. Mm. So, so sorry for your loss. And um, you. I'm glad that you, you mentioned that you felt that need and you feel like it was your mother saying you should go. Um, and I'm glad you made that decision for yourself because it is tough, especially, you know, in, in African cultures and black families, mm. there's the expectation for mourning to be done a certain way for a certain period and that you were able to make that decision for yourself. So when you got on that plane ride, what, what emotions were going through you? I was so happy. <laughs> I was really excited to see the world. I was nervous because I didn't know what to expect. Mm. I didn't do research this level. I didn't take the time to research about what it would be like for a black woman to live in mm. China. So I literally had nothing, like I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. But I have had this overwhelming like excitement to just take on the world. Mm. I was also very broke. I had mm. no money. And uh, I was nervous because at the time, I think I'm going off track, but I was nervous. And no, and I, and, and I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I get that completely. Don't worry about it. Um, did you also uh, have a school that paid for everything for you? 
Yes. So the school that I uh, was going to be starting with in 2018 paid for my flight, were going to reimburse me for all the visa and preparation process, which included a police clearance, Mm. which included the TEFL that I would do, which included the documentation being sent for that career fee, that stuff needed to be sent to Joburg, which included the visa application amount. I had to pay all that stuff up front and bring the receipts with me. And then they would reimburse, reimburse me when I arrived. Um, they also promised to give me a relocation bonus, which I would also get when I arrived. So a lot of things were promised when I arrived. And so on the way, I was super nervous because I was like, oh, Lord, I hope these people are going to keep their word mm. and give me this money when I get there. Because I literally had 1,000 Rand in wow. my account, which translates to... 500 RMB, mm. which literally can't get you anything in this country in terms of living and things like that. You can get food. But luckily, the school had given us a two-week hotel stay for the arrival and just to get on your feet. And then once they've given you the money and all of that, you could go find accommodation. Um, just so we can explain to viewers, what does the TEFL stand for, the T-E-F-L? Teaching English um, in a foreign language. Okay, teaching English in a foreign language. So um, um, the both of you find yourselves arriving in this foreign country, and it's not just any foreign country. I mean, uh, um, Spatia has already mentioned the part about being a black woman Mm -hmm. in that country. What was was the culture shock like for you when you arrived? I think for me it was just like, there's a lot of Asian people here. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There was a, yeah, that's it. But it didn't feel like it was too mm. strange or too different for me. Obviously, for them, it mm. was weird or strange when they were seeing this black-skinned person or mm. brown-skinned person, rather. Um, you know, mm. I remember this one time while I was walking to school and this guy was driving mm. and he saw me. He literally almost crashed wow. because he was like, Wow. Probably never seen a black person <laughs> in their a, life. Yeah. 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 And I think we take that for granted as South Africans because you saying so many Asian people, mm. you, we come from a country which is just so multiracial, exactly. multicultural. Exactly. It's, it, it's very rare for seeing somebody that looks different for it to be abnormal. For us, it's the norm. Whereas there, they see their own people. Now this black woman is like, what? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes even when, sorry, sometimes when I was teaching, the little kids will, will not be focusing anymore. Now they're just looking at my skin. It's wow. like, wow. Yes. Brown. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a hotel stay and then eventually get to find a place or they had already sorted your apartment out? Oh, no, mine was sorted because I stayed with the Korean girl. Yes. So it was all done for me. Mm. Nice and homey. Mm. Yeah. And tell us about um, that particular experience, just the day-to-day life. Live, yeah, day-to-day life. Okay, so my, well, if you're teaching, usually it's, you start in the afternoon. Um, so my classes would be from two till eight. Mm. You know, in Asia, they, they have after school. Mm. Um, the children go to school till late in the evening. Mm. So that's when it would be. So our mornings would just usually be breakfast, going for a walk. Mm. And then we go to school. Mm. And you're there from two, as I said, two till eight o'clock. Um, in the evenings, and yeah. <laughs> Those are very decent hours, so you only worked six hours a day. Basically, and getting lots of money. <laughs> I like that. 
And 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 in that time, um, I mean, what did you fill up your schedule with for the the, the remaining hours? I guess we would always just go home in the evenings and mm. just chill out with my um, my friend, mm. basically, and. Whatever we could do in the evening. Sometimes we would go and have dinner together, mm. um, try different restaurants. Um, yeah, different things. Mm. Yeah. Mm. what is day-to-day life like for you? Day-to-day life for me, um, like Najabula said, work only starts at 2.30 on weekdays. So in the mornings, I'm either shooting content for my YouTube channel, exploring mm. uh, the city that I'm living in, you know, planning and curating joy and happiness where mm. I can. I think our schedules might be, you know, easy in terms of the hours, but they are jam-packed. Like mm. on a Wednesday, I teach four classes, Thursday, four classes, four, 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 back to back. And then Saturdays is a 12-hour day. Sunday is a 12-hour day. So those that time before my classes on the weekdays, I really try to utilize them. And um, so, yeah, I, I try to explore as much as I can. Also, just take time also just relax and, you know, be in the house. I think um, I do that more now often. Um, and, yeah, definitely just try to fill my days with some constructive good stuff that is good for the soul and so that I'm my best self when I'm teaching because it does drain a lot. Like, mm. our content is very hyper, like a lot of energy. You need to be in there giving the kids 100% all the time. So mm. it's important to pour into yourself, and, and that's what I've been doing in my mm-hmm. free time. So you don't get a day off because you mention weekdays and Saturday and Sunday. So the working day for me is Wednesday to Sunday. Oh, my days okay. off are Monday and Tuesday. I got you. I got you. Was was that the same for you? No, I didn't work weekends okay. at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, how many schools did you end up teaching at? So I was in Korea for one year. Yes. And I stayed with that school throughout. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to a different country. So and at a thing one school throughout. Where, where did you move to next? I went to Taiwan. Uh-huh. And <laughs> why the change? Um, I just wanted to try a different country. And it was just that thing of, I was afraid of going back and, you know, with that expectation and hoping that it was going to be the same. Mm. So I thought, no, let's do that, leave that. Mm. Try a different country. And how was Taiwan? Taiwan was, it was good. It was just, it was different from Korea. Um, there were less foreigners. Um, for me, I feel like being in Taiwan was more of a me time. Mm. Yeah, mm. and like mm. Korea, there was a lot, lot of foreigners. It's vibey, you know. Mm. It's, yeah. Did Taiwan you find it a bit challenging the fact that uh, it was more, let me say, isolated yeah. in terms of yeah. no other foreigners? Definitely, it was. I had to go out and do things. Mm. You know, unlike in Korea, I have, there were foreigners. My Korean friend was there. She was taking mm. me everywhere. But in Taiwan, I had to do the exploring for myself. Mm. I, yeah, I, I again stayed in a little old town. You know, no foreigners. I was literally the only foreigner mm. <laughs> there. And yeah, it was just such a good experience for me because it took me out of my comfort zone. Mm, mm. For sure. So when did you eventually come home? I came home in 2017. How many years was that in total? Just three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. So three and a half and how many countries in total? Just two. Okay, Just so three two. and a half years. You spent, spent longer a time in, in Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, what made you decide you were done? I think I just wanted to be with my family. Mm. I miss my family a lot. And yeah, I just felt like I didn't want to grow up in Asia. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go, get old in Asia. So mm-hmm. while I was still young, let's come home and start life again. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. And did you manage to pay off your debt by the time you came back? I did, thankfully. Mm-hmm. By the time when I was in, ta- in Taiwan, anyway, it was, I was debt-free. Mm-hmm. Now I was like actually enjoying my money. Yes, <laughs> Enjoying yes. Asia. I could yes. travel around, so yeah. Sbeke, for you, um, where did you go next? Because you are currently still in Asia. Yes, I have been in Asia for three years and two and a half years in Beijing and the six months here in Hefei. Did you ever get to visit home like once a year or you just, you're in Asia and that's it? Um, so I have been able to travel home in 2019, um, as well as the beginning of 2020. And then we went into lockdown, obviously. And so I haven't been home since February 2020. Mm, mm. Did you get to visit home? Um, when I was in Korea, no. So mm. I was away from South Africa for an entire year. And then in Taiwan, I came home once. Mm, yeah. mm, mm. I'm sure your family then was like, you actually did it. I, I did it. I did yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Asbache, how, how did you, or how do you, because you're still there, how do you stay connected with your um, South African community? I mean, I know you're doing content online. How else do you stay connected with your people? Um, we have a huge uh, you know, group here of South Africans that connect. We've got different platforms that we use. We've got an app called WeChat, where we've got a group with over 250 South Africans. Wow. Um, it's South Africans, Black women in South in China, or Black South wow. Africans in China, sorry. And uh, we, we communicate there a lot. We ask each other, girl, where do I find this lotion? Where do I find this? I need this. Uh, I need jeans that fit. We also vent there and say, hey, guys, I'm going through it today. I miss home. So that group has been really great. I mean, it's South Africans all over uh, China, and it's really great to have that. I also have a, a nice community of family now that I call here who are South Africans that we always just make sure we get together, especially on the special holidays like Heritage Day, and we do brides. Um, I think with, with meeting together, we, we find new information and we're able to you know, get some good steaks, good, get some burrowballs that gets imported and we get together and we, we have nice brides. And I think that's what keeps us connected. We play our music and, you know, those are the kind of things that help me remember where I'm from. And also a lot of video calls um, to my mm. family through WhatsApp and WeChat. So, yeah. How much uh, longer do you think you're going to stay abroad for? Um, I would like to stay for another two years um, here in Asia. Thereafter, I will move to another country. Oh, so it's not even to come back home. And, and where are you thinking of moving to? Um, I love Dubai. I love Dubai. I like what it looks like. I love what's happening there for expats. So maybe Dubai. And would Dubai be also to teach English or you'd find something else to do? Um, Dubai also has really cool opportunities for educators. And mm. I've, with my time here, I've figured out that I'm really good at this and I'm mm-hmm. passionate about it. And so I think it would be continuing in the education space. Maybe not English, but definitely educating and working with youth. Mm-hmm. So where are you now in your life? So I just completed my studies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I'm going to be a qualified Montessori teacher. Wow. <laughs> So I'm definitely going into education, mm. um, but I was hoping to head back to Asia, actually, mm. for a little bit, because um, honestly, life in Asia is like so easy. Mm. Um, so I feel like I just want 
an easy life for a little bit. What do you mean by, <laughs> do you mean easy like there's no load shedding there's and water no load cuts? load shedding and water cuts and all the stress, like, no. Yes. Yeah. Yes, as in um, there's a certain level of things just functioning. Functioning, you mm, know, and mm. just things just flow. And yeah, it's, it's so nice not to have a lot of things happening <laughs> that you do. Your career running away from somebody in no, South Africa. No. <laughs> Not at all. It's just like, I feel like I'm tired, yes. to be honest. And I yes. just want a break. I want to explore again. I want adventure. Yes. I want beauty. Yes. So yeah, yes. that's me. So, um, Sbatli can hook me up. <laughs> Sbatli, what, what is the most surprising thing about being in China? Surprising in a good way? Or good or bad? <laughs> or both? Uh... I would say, if I'm speaking for a South African's perspective, like, the most surprising thing is like what Nunjabulo said. Life is so easy that sometimes you don't believe how easy life is. Convenience. Something simple as getting... I, I mention this a lot also when I share with guys on my channel. Like, something as easy as getting a banana delivered to your house. For South Africans to get a banana, you need to think about, okay, I need to find a pick and pay, or I need to find someone to go buy something. Like You go on your phone, you order the banana, it's at your door in five minutes. Wow. It's got a really good, efficient system. And that thing that surprised me the most is what the most little, like the most smallest thing that you would, you know, think this is difficult to get to me, will get to you. Mm. And it's, it's just the efficiency and how um, well everything is run. I was really surprised. Um, and coming from a situation where things are really difficult and sometimes life can be so tough, it was so good and so surprising to have, you know, something so, like, mm. I know, I, I, I don't know if you understand what I mean, but, like, it was just really, really awesome. And I think that was one of the biggest, whoa, for me, like, mm. life is easy and so convenient. Mm. Um so, yeah. And surprisingly bad? I would say just the experiences that I got as a black woman living in China. Um, I did experience a lot of racism. Mm. Um, also, um, I think it was also something that surprised me the most was that I knew there were going to be, uh, or rather I had learned at that point that people were naive. Chinese people, obviously the culture um, and no, not being exposed to black people. Some Chinese people obviously don't know how to act around black people. Mm. And then there are those Chinese people who have been exposed to black people, who have seen black people, but still choose, you know, to, you know, when I sit in the subway and someone just sits next to me and decides to close their nose, like, that what? was like, what? whoa. So what are some of the incidents that, what are some of the incidents that have happened to you? Give us some examples. Sure, the, the hair touching while I'm sitting in the subway, um, like I'm sitting in the subway on my way home, someone just walks up to me and just grabs my hair and starts playing with it without my permission. Um, at one point uh, during the whole COVID time and people were still very misinformed, I would walk into an elevator and people would walk out and, you know, hold their noses. And um, I mean, it was so tough, Sislebo. It was so tough mentally. Um, I broke down a few times thinking, you know, honestly, this is crazy. And um, I, I, I really feel like that for me was something that I wasn't expecting. Mm. Um, it definitely got worse around COVID, 
But um, I think it's also good to know that, like I said, some Chinese people are just, you know, inquisitive and are curious. And some are really just, you know, doing these things and it's just not right. And um, at in the moment, you know, you try to just be stern and be like, hey, leave me alone. But when you're the only one that looks like you and everyone around them, uh, around you rather, looks like them, no one's going to correct them. And sometimes mm. it's just really tough uh, to not have anyone stand up for you and defend you. Mm. And that for me was just so difficult. But I found now that um, three years into it, um, I'm more aware of the spaces where um, I can expect things like that. I know also um, young people, people who are well-traveled, people who have been exposed to uh, foreigners, not just black women, foreigners. Mm. They uh, are definitely more open-minded. And you see these kind of instances with people who are older, who maybe are from the villages and the rural areas, who've never seen anyone who looks like me. Mm. And um, some, you know, to take pictures and get excited and some opt to just act out and discuss and be like, what, what is wrong? Like, oh no, this is horrible. You stink. Do, do, do they speak English much um, in Beijing and where you are? In Beijing, they do. They do speak more English. Mm. Uh, where I am, the English here, uh, generally people do not speak uh, English. And are you picking up any languages like Mandarin or Cantonese? Mandarin, yes, uh, just, you know, day-to-day living words, but my Chinese and my Mandarin is definitely not uh, where it should be. Mm. Did you experience any racism? Not at all, mm. not at all. So I'm very surprised that that people say that. For mm. me, it was, you know, I wouldn't say it was racism. And also, Asian people, buy my cup, if I can say it like that, mm. like everything to them is like foreign, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so yes, there would be those people who were touching your hair, but I didn't feel like it was racism. Mm. You know, it's just like, oh wow, you have different texture. Hey. It was cute. for you. It was more of curiosity. Curiosity, yes. I think. So you've got braids now. Where did you do your hair in South Korea? Oh, you find people, hey? You find really? people, and as Bashley is saying, the Facebook, Facebook groups. There's people. Mm, you mm. might have to travel a bit to get to yes. them, but yeah. Yes. Usually yes. in the the big towns. Yes. Yeah. And for you, what did you find surprising, good and surprising, bad in your experience? For me, honestly, Asian people were nice. Mm. That was surprisingly good. Mm. And they're so kind. Mm. They were very kind to me. That was like, wow. Mm. Bad. What was bad? I think maybe it would be just like... I don't know, actually. What was bad? Maybe there was nothing bad. I don't think anything. Maybe if I can say it was bad for me, I couldn't deal with the the weather. Mm. Like hot, extremely mm. hot, mm. and then it's extremely cold. Like it's yes. just like that's all. That's yes. that's the only yes. negative thing for me. Yes. Otherwise, it's good. I think it's so great that we have both your experience, uh, both your experiences. You who are back home now, yeah. especially who is still. Uh, in Asia going through this just to share the experiences and I know I've actually seen a couple of content creators on YouTube sharing what day-to-day life is like as a black person living in X country teaching English abroad and I think um, it's so great that those opportunities are available and I'm grateful to the both of you for coming through and to share your stories uh, Spake and uh, Nonjabudu thank you so much guys thank you thank you thank you for having us thank you Thank you so much.
Hashtag Unpacked with Rile Hit us up on the socials. Get in touch with us. Let us know if there is something specific you would like to find out about. And we might talk about it on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good night. Next time on Unpacked. I'm from humble beginnings. My mom met her boyfriend in 2008. I saw the signs of abuse from the beginning. He assumed that my mom was cheating. When we get home, the carpet was full of blood and I still remember she was facing her, showing no sign of life. for watching Unpacked with Rileb Khilema Make sure you subscribe to my channel where you can get to watch more episodes. But more importantly, you can be part of our online community. Comment down below, share with us who you'd like to see on the show, what story you'd like us to discuss. We love engaging with you. Keep it coming and don't forget to subscribe.